Welcome to Book Reads with Tracy, where I read books and share my thoughts with you throughout my reading. I hope you enjoy this episode. So today we are going to read the book Midnight Without a Moon by Linda Williams Jackson, Chapter Three. This book is a historical fiction book. Chapter Three, Monday, July twenty-fifth. Before our old rooster, Slick Charlie, even had time to crow, Ma Pearl called my name from the doorway of the bedroom. Rose Lee, she said, "Get up, Gall." I didn't move. Monday meant laundry, cooking, and cleaning, and that was all before noon. After that, I had to go to the field. Besides, with Mama gone, the heaviness in my heart had radiated down to the rest of my body, paralyzing my arms and legs. When Mama was a car ride away in Greenwood, I knew I would occasionally see her when she felt the need to have Mister Pete drop her off for a visit on the Saturday afternoon. But with her all the way up in Chicago, I'd be lucky to see her once a year when all the other Northern Nodrios paid the South a visit. If she ever decided to come back, that is. Rose Lee, Ma Pearl said again. As long as her voice remained low enough, she would wake only me and not Queen. I pretended to be asleep, but when she leaned inside that sheet-covered doorframe and said, "Gall, get up! You go into the field this morning," I shouted faster than the stalk of corn in the middle of July. Laundry, cooking, and cleaning were bad, but going to the field all day was worse. I didn't bother putting my house coat on over my thin nightgown or even rubbing the crust from my tired eyes. I dashed out of that room and chased Ma Pearl through the house, asking, "How come I gotta go to the field this morning, Ma Pearl?" I stumbled through the moonlight of Fred Lee's room, on through the darkness of Ma Pearl and Papa's room, all the way to the soft glow of the. Kerosene lit front room. The floorboards of our old house creaked, creaked with every step. For a big woman, my grandpa sure could move fast. My grandma sure could move fast. I panted as I tried to keep up. By the time we reached the kitchen, I was sweating, and it didn't help one bit that our old wood stove in the corner was lit up like a campfire. My pearl lumbered over to the icebox and pulled out a bowl of butter. A basket of fresh eggs from the hen house waited on the table, while the nutty aroma of coffee percolated in the spot, in the pot. Without even a glance at me, she finally answered my question: "Albert and his boys ain't making today." I shaved my mouth to protest, but she cut me off. "Don't complain." When she sealed her words with a steely-eyed look. Look, I plopped down on the rickety bench next to the window and yanked back the faded yellow curtain. It was still black outside. The only indication of morning was a pink, was a pink haze lingering over the horizon at the end of the long rows of cotton. The yellow glow in the barn meant that Papa was already in there preparing for a long, hot day. I yawned and wondered why I was up before Fred Lee, seeing that he had to go to the field as soon as the sun came up too. On a normal Monday, before I worked like a slave in the house, I would go out to milk Ellie while Queen lay around somewhere curled in a ball, pretending she had the monthly cramps. 
I let the curtain fall and peered at Marple. Is Queen going milk Ellie this morning? I asked. With her face in a tight frown, Ma Pearl dipped flour from the croquer sack with a tin can and poured it into her sifter. She held the sifter over her scratched-up mixing bowl and cranked the handle. Like a soft dusting of fresh snow, flour flowed into the bowl. When she was good and ready, Ma Pearl paused, pursed her lips, and glared at me. You know that that girl. Can't tell a tit from a tat," she said. "You go milk, Ellie. You got time." Like a small child, I crossed my arms and pouted. I couldn't believe I would have to go to the fields all day and still be expected to work around the house. With the help of Mr. Albert Jackson, who lived a few miles down the road from us, and his two sons, Levy and Fisher, Fish for short, I at least got a break from the field two mornings a week. What happened to Mr. Alburn? How how come they can't come today? I asked. Ma Pearl's pudgy fingers pinched the butter into the flour. While she worked at the mixture until it resembled yellow cornmeal, her eyebrows knit into a deeper frown. I said they can't come. The levy already took off early on Friday. I complained. Ma Pearl's face hardened. Stay out of grown folks' business. Well, it was my business if I had to go out there to that hot cotton field and do the work of three men, one full grown and two almost grown. But I couldn't say that to Ma Pearl. She would have slapped me clear on into the July of 1956. She wobbled over to the ice box and pulled out a quart, a a quarter-sized bottle of buttermilk. With a heavy sigh, she lumbered back to the table and slowly poured the buttermilk straight from the bottle into the mixture of flour and crumbled but and crumbled butter. While turning the stiff mixture with a fork, she mumbled under her breath, "Anna May and Pete did right, leaving this darn place. Nothing here but a bunch of trouble." I tilted my head to the side. Marple, she scowled. I seal my lips. With her forehead creased, Mamma went back to work on the biscuits. She shook extra tablespoons of flour into the sticky mixture as she began half saying, half moaning, "Stay out of grown folks' business," as if it were a real song. All these darn children just oughta stay out of grown folks' business. While her fingers shaped the sticky batter into dough, her made-up lyrics morphed into the humming of a real song. Why should I feel discouraged? She sang quietly. And why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? That was a random singing. Thank you. Okay, moving on. Something was wrong. Mr. Albert Jackson and Lovey and Fish never missed a full day of work. And Ma Pearl never bothered with gospel music, unless it was Wednesday or Sunday church days. Otherwise, she swayed and snapped her fingers to the blues. I pulled back the curtain and stared into the early morning darkness again. As the sun peeked over the horizon, promising another blazing hot day, Slick Charlie finally got his lazy self up and crowed. I dropped the curtain and stared down at. A crack in the floorboards as I listened to Ma Pearl's chanting. Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me.
Her singing annoyed me. I was 13, not three. If something had happened to Mr. Albert and his sons, I was old enough to know about it. I studied Ma Pearl's face for answers as she worked the big ball of dough. She rolled and patted, stretched and pulled, concentrating, as if as if that beige lump were the most important thing in her life at the moment. I tried one more time. Taking a deep breath and letting it out, I quickly said, How come Mr. Albert ain't coming? Ma Pearl's hand paused mid-pat. She glanced at me, but didn't say a word. She sighed and began patting the dough again. Color folds just ought to stay in their place. It'll keep us all out of a whole lot of trouble. One Negro do something. White folks get mad at everybody. I rubbed goosebumps from my arms, even though it was probably 110 degrees in the kitchen with that stove burning. Mr. Albert didn't seem to be the kind of Negro, or Nedro, I don't know, who would get in trouble with the whites. To my knowledge, he had always stayed in his place just like Papa, just like white folks like Ricky Turner warned us to do when he chased us off the road with his pickup. Then I had my nerve to challenge him by tossing a rock his way and by poking my tongue out at him. I couldn't help but wonder what Ma Pearl would have thought of that. Would have thought of that. Casually, I asked, Did Mr. Albert do something? Is he in trouble? Ma Pearl ignored my question. Fetch me that rolling pin from the safe. As I got up to the rolling pin, she spoke under her breath. These young folks don't know nothing. Gonna get us all killed. Running around here asking about the right to vote. Young folks, levy or fish, but right to vote? That would be Mr. Albert. He was the only one old enough to vote. Now I was even more confused. Could Mr. Albert even read? And surely he wouldn't do anything to stir up trouble with whites in Stillwater. My heart pounded as I opened the door of the gleaming white cabinet where we kept things we didn't want the rats to feast on during the night. Just two months before, back in May, a preacher named Reverend George Lee had been killed for helping colored folks register to vote. I prayed that nothing like that had happened to Mr. Albert. A Negro ain't got the right to do nothing except live free and die, my pearl said. Live free? When we couldn't even walk up the road without being chased down by a peck of wood and a pickup? I didn't realize my hand was shaking until I reached up to the middle shelf for the rolling pin and knocked over a mason jar full of last winter's pear preserves. Like dominoes, that jar knocked over another jar and that one, then another. All three of them rolled out of the cabinet and crashed to the floor. Go! Watch, watch what you're doing! Ma Pearl, I started, but didn't finish. I wouldn't do any good. I couldn't tell from those lines in her forehead that she didn't want any apology I had to offer. Plus, I knew it wasn't just those fallen preserves and the sticky mess they made that I had her in a huff. I handed her the rolling pin and said, I'll clean it up. Ma Pearl groaned. I'll clean it up myself. You just go on in there and sit yourself and get ready for work. I didn't get you but dirty just to sit around here and run your mouth. You got a long day ahead. Now get up. You know how slow you is. Yes, ma'am, I said. And wake fretly too. She sighed and pursed her lips. <sighs> Try not to wake up, Queen. She didn't sleep good last night. By the way, Queen is her like favorite grandchildren. I think it's just so unfair.
just putting it out there. When I was halfway out the door, she stopped me. Go nip that slop jar too, she said, turning up her nose. That thing stank worse than skunk spray. You and Queen pissed through the night more than anybody I know. You mean Queen pisses through the night more than anybody you know? I wanted to say I sleep through the night because you work me like a donkey all day. But I was smart enough not to talk back to Mar Pearl. Obviously, like I said, there was no sense in arriving in 1956 before the rest of the world got there. So I kept my mouth shut as I went on the back room to fetch the slop jar and take it out to the toilet to pour out Queen's pee. Ew, that is disgusting. Okay, so anyways, that is the end of chapter three, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Bye.